Hello everyone, welcome back to the One Talk podcast here with your host Ryan McCarthy. Today we are joined by Todd Jarrett. Todd is an identity mentor which helps people identify their true identity so they can live their true purpose in life and become fully aligned to their values, their mission and who they are as a person. In today's episode we touch on topics such as identity, shadows, masculine and feminine, the embodiment of that and also how to identify your mission. Some of the common questions that came up is what is an identity and how is it formed? Why do people struggle with identity? How can we find slash reveal our true identity? Is our identity true to ourselves or is it someone else's perception of us? And how can we nurture our shadows into the light, the feminine, masculine, and so much more? Within this episode, you'll find a lot of value, knowledge, and information that you can adapt into your own life and be able to implement this for yourself, but also be able to share this information with loved ones, family members, friends, and whatnot. So I'm looking forward to everyone to dive into this episode and just enjoy. So let's welcome Toddy. Welcome back to the show, Toddy. How are you, man? Epic, brother. Phenomenal. <laughs> Phenomenal. Um, I just want to say, this is your second time around on the One Talk, and the first episode, it went crazy with the audience and the viewers. Everyone loved it. It still holds a deep place in my heart as one of my favorite episodes I've recorded and even just listened back to as well. And as we're talking just before the podcast, it's about five weeks of the two-year anniversary of the first podcast, which is unbelievable to know. It's been two years and thinking of the journey we've both been on since then and the amount of knowledge and things and life we've experienced since then to now come back and do another episode makes me really excited to dive back in and get some juicy conversations flowing. Yeah, brother, it's... For me, that's... I was saying just before that that's actually, of all the interviews of potties that I've been fortunate and so blessed to do, that's still my favourite. And the yeah. reason for that is, man, it was like, it was, it was a marathon. Like, yeah. it, it was long. It was I like remember. three and a half yeah. hours, three hours. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was <laughs> like three, just, I think it was around the three hour mark. Mm. And to me that gave it, cause I remember, you know, with Rogan's, it was like the long ones. Yeah. You, we, we went into so many topics. And so a part of me coming today was like, where are we going with <laughs> yeah. this? Like, I know we'll talk on identity, but there's so many things. So. Yeah. It's unreal, man. I just want to start off because within the last two years, I just want to ask, like, how have you been and what's been happening in your life, man? Oh, where were we? From in a real summated version, I, if we say two years ago, so early June, say roughly June 2021, I'd started Cool to Be Conscious, Stillness Down on the Beach. And so it wasn't long after that that I was on the show and from there in simple terms we grew that community which was beautiful and then i ended up going to a dr espen event and connecting with him and not long later i actually started on his his executive assistant and within that similar time frame within that next couple of months trav cochran uh, jess rippengale rip and i started the ripple effect Mm. and so i had cool to be conscious Dr. Espen's work and ripple effect as well as my private identity clients happening at once. And there was a lot going on at that point in time. And uh, I got to sit with some pretty profound plant medicines, um, ayahuasca and San Pedro and peyote, which has been huge for my journey. And then we had 
uh, our first two the Ripple Effect events, which were phenomenal, remarkable, like 100 people at both of those. Uh, and they were on the masculine and the feminine, those archetypes. And then I stepped away from the Ripple Effect just out of an alignment decision just knowing that we're all in different parts of our journeys and for me that wasn't the time to be there and I loved that work and that event and that flow and what we created but I knew that I needed to focus where I was going and so then I continued with my private clients and Dr Espen and Cool to Be Conscious and then I was really fortunate to expand within Dr Espen's team and become the performance manager of the team which was basically overseeing the performance of all of the events and then got brought on to be head coach. So was traveling Australia with him, Melbourne, Sydney, Newcastle, um, then all of Queensland, the major cities, and running his one-day and three-day events and speaking on stage with him, and that was beautiful. And I learned so much with Espen, and he's a brother for life. And then I knew through that that there was just a few things that I was like, okay, I know that it's time for me to go on my journey. And again, just a feeling. Same thing with the ripple effect, same thing with Espen, or I should say that the enterprise, not Espen himself. I was like, there's just a few things that are, for me, alignment. It's time to go on my own path. And from there, I went basically three quarters full time with Cool To Be Conscious and went over to Perth to set up. So basically, I was the Sunny Coast community manager at that point, And then I became the kind of like Australasian community manager. Yeah. Farno was what we call it. So Farno in Maldi is family. Oh, yeah. So family manager for each of the communities. And so went over to Perth and set up a community there. And then within that experience, Rue, Ryan and I had some conversations around the depth to which we wanted to take our practitioners in their training so that they would be at a world-class level. Mm. Because I'd been through the training before that with the boys and there was a lot more depth that I felt we could take it to. And so we got to work together and create the flow. And so it went from being, say, like a one-day prac for practitioner training to we created a like four-day immersions. And that was deep, deep work, profound. That, that was a big part of, if I was to say, the journey of the last two years. I was very blessed and grateful to have created the flow for the practitioner training immersions. And we, Rue, Rye and I, and Eugene, he was another one of the, we all went in together leading these immersions. We went into that first immersion and my intention was basically, sounds intense, but that's it. If you have someone leading you, you want them to have done the work, been to the depths. And so my intention was break every single person there Mm. and see them put themselves back together so that they could hold anything in the future. withholding breath and energy work and so the intention was for them to come out as elite like world-class breathwork practitioners and through the culmination of that weekend the energy the container the intention the level of activations and awakenings that we saw so people talk about kundalini so many kundalini activations people accessing parts of themselves rebirthings just Mm. phenomenal and I felt my own being from that experience shift because we came out the other side and we, Rue, Ryan, I caught up, I think the next day, which would have been like the Tuesday. We all sat down and it was just a, holy shit. My intention was have world-class breathwork practitioners. Mm. 
but we had energy workers. Every single person there was came out of that knowing how to move energy, work energy out of the body, mm. connect in with it. And there are some powerful, powerful humans that have come from that. And that experience in Ballina, we went to a, a barn and we were down there for four days. That for me was a big turning point in witnessing energy at a really deep intimate level of seeing it come out of the body seeing people work it out of the body seeing it released and having intuitive feelings of where something is stuck in someone's energy in their in their physical body mm-hmm. and then saying because we'd have the practitioners working on each other through breath going just see where it comes out and like i'd be over here kind of observing going my the sense i have is there and the next minute, boom, like that part of the body starts shifting or or they talk about it after that it was moving out of this area and it was just this, the depth of connection yeah. was profound. And so we went from there to the Wit Sundays and ran our practitioner retreat and the same same level of depth, the same intention. This We actually added in masculine and feminine work on the retreat up. We were on a boat for six days. Epic. So, man, that was potent. And again, more more depth just seeing what the human experience has available to it when you're in a container where every single person there is already a breathwork practitioner they're already working with energy and we set an intention of how high can we go how far can we take this over six days and how deep can we take this work and you're not on technology you're not speaking with anyone else everyone's on this positive direction it it was it was life-changing perspective wise and so we came out of that and then it was time to head to New Zealand and go and take our New Zealand practitioners through their training. And we went over there and had that and that was beautiful. But really awakening to me because I've always thought of New Zealand as the country of warriors. Mm-hmm. But what we saw over there and this came, became aware to me through Rue, Rye and Eugene who were both or all from New Zealand um, originally that – there's a lot of suppression over there. And to me as an Aussie that hadn't seen or witnessed that, it was almost like their warriors, as in the All Blacks or what they aspire to be in New Zealand, are so high that unless you make it, to me it seemed as though it's almost like, well, fuck, we can't live up to that. So yeah. we'll just go the other direction. There's no point. And it was almost like a, it felt to me like, we're not enough kind of thing from the guys. And then the girls were kind of, you know, we talk about little boy. We'll probably talk about this afterwards. It's men, but really they're just little boys. Mm. And so women don't feel safe with them. So it was really interesting to witness the dynamic, not only at the immersion at the retreat training, but then also in public. And then at the end of that retreat over in New Zealand, um, that was when Rue, Ryan and I separated. Mm. So they continued with cool to be conscious. And it was time for me to focus on identity. And then I had two weeks by myself in a van and I primarily sat those two weeks in silence driving around being in New Zealand and my intention with that time was to do some real deep inner work I was blessed to be doing deep inner work with the boys every day that we were together and we had a really intense couple of months and then at that point in time like little toddy for me my heart my little boy Mm. was still really hurt from childhood and he'd been through a lot but my intention in being in New Zealand was basically go and sit with all of your dark points all of your hurt points every bit of pain you can find in your body sit with it Mm -hmm. 
because a lot of the time we'll, we'll sit and then we'll talk about it or we'll distract with a phone or with TV or going out and seeing our mates or we'll go and see someone else to talk about it to get it up quickly. My intention was how much can I sit with? How much discomfort can I physically be in and just be in silence for two weeks by myself, not know where I'm going or who I like, didn't know anyone over there? And it was challenging mm. and it was, I wouldn't say dark, but heavy. And every single day I wanted to pull out my phone and message people as it, like I realized it's a distraction or I'd be intending on having dinner by myself by the beach and then I'd see like a local pub. I'm like, oh, go sit over there and talk to it. No, don't go and talk to anyone. Keep sitting in it. And I realized even at a subtle level how much we're constantly attempting to yeah. distract. And so it was just, sit in it and the more I continued to choose to sit in the discomfort the more I realized little toddy my heart was going you've actually got me like you're gonna sit here and be with me through this because in parts the parts of us we have our head our heart now our, our gut mm. our head will kind of like push everything away so that we don't have to sit in the pain and it was almost like my heart's like you're actually gonna sit with me in this and it was the mm. first time he really felt held and then I got to have a beautiful uh, moldy healing on a, on a mud eye, which is very sacred mm. uh, in that culture and sacred to me with a respect for New Zealand and the land and, and some kind of energetic connection I have there. And it was two, two days later, I was supposed to be driving from Fitianga a small town up to like I think it was Cray Bay north northeast of like the Coromandels of the North Island and I'd written out like in my phone notes all the places I was going to go in order logistically so I was most efficient with my travel yeah and I drove through Fitianga I knew where I was going and this was after the moldy healing and after I'd had some big awareness around blind spots I'd been having and there was this part of me that was like my head knew where I needed to go and there was this little voice that's like go back mm. I'm driving like what i'm like no i know where i'm going i got my notes here i need to go here and it's like go back and i'm like i'm not going back this goes on for like 10 minutes i'm 10 minutes out the road and eventually it's like just trust us and i pull over i'm on the side of the road like what is going on it's like this feeling is so strong like i was shaking at the time and i was like whatever this is i need to trust it mm. and so i turned back and that for me was like a, a turning point or it was like the first time I felt like I trusted my heart or maybe my intuition over my head. Mm. And there was nothing special about the place or where I parked. I went to sleep. But the next morning I woke up, it was like, and the way I've explained it to a few people, it was as though my body was like made up of a different material. Mm. I was feeling so much love and so much joy and just overwhelming gratitude to be alive and for what i was seeing and witnessing and this is after what i'd been through health-wise which i know we'd spoken about on our first episode years ago so i already had a deep gratitude for life but this was something else it was just like all i could explain it as was i was just feeling intense love mm. and and just a oneness and that i realized what it was i've actually got a photo and it's in my van on my, my little TV screen. I don't use a TV, but it's like my little reminder of, of the feelings and yeah. the, that I connect in with each day. And I was up at a, a Pedo Bay and it was the day I realized that 
years ago, a couple of years ago, I'd, I hadn't even gotten to, to me, there's self-acceptance, self-appreciation, self-love. We have to get to go through the levels. And for me in early 2021, very early 2021, I hadn't even gotten to self-acceptance. But in one day I chose to face what was like a big fear for me at that point in, in my insecurities and I moved from self-acceptance in, well, self-loathing really. And I got to self-acceptance and then I got to self-appreciation, mm. which was huge. And then this day in New Zealand was, I guess the first day you'd said like, I, I actually loved myself. Yeah, I was wow. like, I don't need anyone. I don't need anything. I could just be here, travel around by myself and like I feel full. Mm. I don't need to do anything. I just get to be this. And that was monumental in my journey. Yeah, well a shift in my being and that's like when I said I just knew there was something I needed to turn back for and it was like this realisation of trust your heart. Mm. It knows. And so I <clears throat> came back to Australia and the intention was to just be the next six months, just get in my van, travel, don't do anything, don't launch anything, just be. And then I had a couple of my private clients I was working with and they got pretty excited about 2023 and their goals and objectives and that like pulled me in. And so I started to get pulled into that and I launched, set about launching Shifting the Matrix, which is a blue and red pill event. And the concept there is basically there's a lot of dogma, stigma between like if you're on the red pill spiritual side you think that all the people that are earning money, career focused, financial focus, that they're a bunch of ego-driven, materialistic people. But then on the blue pill side, if you're doing well, you see all these other people over here. You go, they're a bunch of hippies, they're, you know, spiritual woo-woo. It's like, what about purple? Like, yeah. What if you could have both, the balance? And so this event is about that, having speakers from both coming in so we can cultivate a balance. And um, So, yeah, launch that. And then put my full focus into the identity system, which is my mission and my work. And that's just about to launch. And there's been some big, big pieces this year in terms of my expansion or my awareness mm. in life so far. I'd probably say this year has been the biggest uh, yeah. so far. And that's, that's come because the first couple of months of this year, although I'd connected deeply with my heart and so to speak, ex expanded if you wanted to use the word in New Zealand the first few months I was really using my head mm. and I was like I was shutting that back down and it got to a really challenging place and then I had a beautiful experience at a um, spirit breathwork event with Dan Dan P and kind of reconnected you could say with my heart and since then my I've I made a commitment on that day mm. it was like no matter what in life, my number one commitment now is to my heart. And it's to feeling, being love every day, every moment. And I made the commitment that if anything compromises my feeling or connection with that feeling of just overwhelming love, of just being like that inner child, expressive, smiley person, then it gets cut. Yeah. I release it from my life. And so that's, work it's relationships it's friends it's career it's it's anything mm. and that was a big step for me because my whole life before that point had been committed to a mission of service and this is the first time i was like i give it all up mm. give it all up 
because I would rather live a life in ecstasy and bliss from my heart doing the simple things than be slogging it out, feel depressed, drained, empty, trying to help people. Yeah. And what I also learned in that, which came from my mentor, Darren Manser, was that for years I'd been so in my head focused on impacting millions, impacting millions, gonna just help the world. But while I'm so head focused up here, focused ahead, I'm not in my heart present with the person in front of me. Mm. And so I'm so caught up on the future and all the other people that every person I'd come into contact with, are they really getting the best me? Yeah. Are they getting the feeling that could change their life? And so I said about it's it's been a shift and it's be love in every moment I possibly can and be the the most love, the most light, whatever you want to call it, for the one present person in mm. front of me because I know that by being fully present with that person and being fully as best I can be in that moment, heart open with them, they feel that that impacts them more than some motivational speech. It's a feeling that they don't forget. And in the course of your life of just being fully present, you know, I go out of my way now to find every person that's like a a staff member or a worker, wherever I go, their name. Mm. Thank you. So like the lady at the the library today, Claire. Um, Thank you so much, Claire. And she looked at me, she's like, how do you know my name? I was like, I just had a quick sign at your, your name badge. She's like, oh, I was like, did it feel like just checked in? was like, how did it feel? Because for me, it's always like understanding. Mm. And she was like, oh, I didn't expect it. That's, that's really nice. And I was like, and I'll remember it. And it's just so small human interactions that make an impact. And, and through the course of your life, by being fully present, you'll meet a million people. Yeah. And that that is impacting. But it's a ripple effect then as well. Mm. And so that's been huge. And that's been my mission and my intention. If you were to put it down to a T, like... The identity system I feel like is why I'm here on earth with what I've been through and working at the level of identity. Mm. But again, same thing. I surrender all of that if it's pulling me away from my heart and the feeling within that. Mm. So, what a beautiful journey these last two years have been, brother. Yeah. Wow. There's, um, there's quite a couple of things I want to unpack from that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Before I get into like the topics and the identity system. Like... How do you find the balance in between the head and the heart? Because there might be moments where you might have to go into the head a bit to be analytical or mm-hmm. think of through things and then tap into the heart to feel if it's the right choice to make. Yeah. But how do you find the balance in between the two? Or do you feel like you even need a balance between the two? To me, there's three parts to us Mm -hmm. at this point in my journey. And this is what I call the identity guidance system. That's a part of identity. And for everyone I've worked with so far, it seems that they have, when you check in with like the little parts of themselves, Mm -hmm. they seem to have a little voice in their head, a little voice from their heart and a little voice from their gut. So the thinking, the head, the ego, the mind, the brain, the analytical, the emotion, the feeling, the heart, Mm. and then the intuition, the sensing, the knowing of the gut. And at least at this point in my journey, like I've got a lot more to learn. Yeah. 
and continue to learn just at this point it's a feeling or a i guess what i'm witnessing with clients is that consistently it's like when you can bring them into thirds so they're all an equal third and they all play their even role and they work together as a team that's when you're in the most flow flow state synchronicities Mm. guidance ease yeah and so for me i a lot of people use the head to attempt to make decisions but they're going through it from an analytical point of like pros and cons right and wrong Mm. when our intuition our gut knows it knows yes or no black or white it's incredible and I was explaining before, I've had a, a client of mine, he's been deliberating on a decision for four months through his head because he's very analytical up here. We we're talking about it and I was like, okay, let's do this process. Connected him in and so what it's, it's there's a process to it and, and they go through that in the identity system. But this, this point is, um, for me, I have Todd, which is my head. Toddy is my heart. He's like my little boy that just wants to fucking smile and give everyone big hugs. <laughs> And then I have Toddy Boy. He's kind of like this quiet guy that's just constantly observing. And Toddy Boy is my intuition. And so with my client, I just got him to go through and connect down from his heart down into his gut. And um, within 30 seconds, mm. he knew the answer to something he'd been deliberating from his head on for four months. And the reason for that is because our head, our ego, the mind – it's not really designed to make decisions as such. It's designed to protect us, to store information, to avoid pain and create pleasure, which is why we have a society that is, because we're so in the head, in the mind, that's if we keep on this like wavelength for a moment. If we're in the mind and we're so up here and it's designed to crave pleasure and avert from pain, that's why we have instant gratification being so big in society and delayed gratification being so far off because we don't want to go through the pain. We want the quick pleasure. Mm. And it's and, and the brain is wired like that. So as long as we're operating the brain, we're fighting like an uphill battle. Yeah. And with that, the heart is the feeler. And so this is where when we're a child and something happens where we, we experience an emotional pain, our like ego comes in and protects. It's like, okay, don't do that thing again mm. or don't say that thing again. Or if you do going to say, like, I'm going to get ready to attack and we project outwardly. So basically any suppressed emotion that's within us, our ego, our mind is ready to protect the heart at any yeah. cost. And, and then the intuition for most of us is squashed out. Um, and more frequently, it's a bit more challenging for guys to tap into their intuition is what I've seen and, and found than for girls, um, than for females. But yeah, it's that if you were to, to come back around to the question because you said that's why I wanted to go into the three, there's a thinking, a feeling, and there's a knowing. And they all have a different role at different times. But I'm starting to feel as though the more we can get our head to just like chill, mm. just be silent, allow the heart to feel, and then the gut to know, we're almost just like guided. Yeah. That's, that'd be the word. And that's the coolest thing about, oh, forgot to mention, I moved into a van full time, yeah. which is like so the opposite of who I used to be. Yeah. And a big part of that is me being connecting with the intuition. And because I'll finish up work for the day, I'll be at a library or wherever it is, and I'll go, where do you want to go, Toddy Boy? And the head just chills, and, and I just end up somewhere. And it's crazy the synchronicities that have been happening. I'll end up somewhere, and then the person I've been thinking about's there, 
or an event that I wanted to go to that I'd forgotten about ends up like just little things. And I'm going, okay, thank you. Just like everything's become the line in those moments. And I relate with that a lot because I had a chat with Trav a few weeks ago and he was telling me to set boundaries around certain things because I was telling them like, I was so caught up in my head, but I knew the answer, but my head was trying to convince me otherwise. Yeah. And he got me back into my heart and into my gut. He's like, trust it. Yep. Set the boundaries that your head's confusing you on and actually yep. connect to yourself and make those decisions. Once I did that, everything else in my life just accelerated quickly, yeah. like in terms of growth. When I started to put my focus on the things which I knew I needed to do. Yeah. That's how powerful it is to be able to connect all three of those pillars. Yeah. Is there, is there like a process people can do be able to connect that or how did you feel like you've connected those three man for me this this stuff in relation to identity specifically has just come that'd be the word like through a flow i haven't gone out to try to create it it's kind of come to me but in terms of that process with the the identity and the guidance system it kind of just flowed in because i was doing at that point in time a bunch of years ago i think 20 when I was in healing physically, I was doing some inner child meditations and it was kind of connecting in with the heart. And as I was doing it, I realized that, and, and this is kind of like the process, we're so easy able to connect in with our mind. Anyone listening right now, if you pause this, there'll be a little voice chatting run away. His voice sounds like if I go into the microphone, your little voice like, why do you do that? That's, that's your mind. He has a name or she has a name. And you just go, hey, what's your name? So mine, mine's Todd. Mm. And it's very easy when you actually slow down and connect in with your body, they'll talk. They actually have their own like little personality. And this is parts work. And so within t- to connect, say, in with your heart, and what we typically are doing is slowing down the breath, bringing our energy, our attention and intention down into our chest. Mm. And then we'll say to people, like, go back to a time in your life when you remember as a little child being a little girl or a little boy when you were just smiling and loving and happy and joyful and expressive and all you want to do was skip around or like high five your friends and i'm just watching people and they're sitting there from this like dumpy state and then they're like shoulders will start to move this little cheeky smirk will come like there they are and i'm like okay now so now they've connected for a moment with that sense of inner child which is their suppressed heart because the heart is Primarily like that little infant, the kid that just runs around so lovingly. Yeah. And once they connect in there, what we typically find is they're almost in like a room, like kind of like a jail cell because they've been locked away. And like, you can't, you know, don't show your emotions here. Like you're not allowed to respond back there. You know, boys don't cry or whatever it is. Girls aren't do this. That this little child, say for, for me, Toddy, the heart, when I first connected with him, he was like in the fetal position in the corner of this little room mm. and he was he didn't trust Todd upstairs. Yeah. No way, because Todd had pushed him down and said, you're not allowed to show your emotions and so on and so forth. And so it's about being really soft, nurturing, and gentle and redeveloping a connection, a trust, a safety and a relationship with little mm. the little guy until until he's ready to speak for me and like that was you know as i've been through with multiple clients now it's 
once they they're like i'm like is there someone there they're like yeah there's a little little person there okay keep connecting with them until they're ready to talk just let them get off their chest whatever they want to and then just ask them hey if you were to be called something what would you be called mm. it's so cool like dude you got like muscly ass pro athletes and they're like let's say their name's james and they're like well his name's jimmy <laughs> it's so because it's like the inner child that comes out I'm like okay there's jimmy how's he feeling and, and he's like they'll be like man like he's he's saying that he's really hurt that we've pushed him down like he's had so much to give to people to show them kindness and compassion and love and empathy and all these things and we've just been like a stone wall and so there's that connection there and then once they're kind of at a, a happy place so to speak it takes a, it's a process over time then you kind of walk them down into down below like down underneath your belly your gut and same process but this yeah. one's with your intuition and i find that people are less dis less connected with their intuition than their heart um because a lot of blokes like what the fuck's an intuition like what's that because it's been beaten out for so long yeah. or at least with their heart it's, it's kind of closer because they can feel shit or whatever it is and mm. so yeah it's that's a, like a summation of yeah. a part of the process and they yeah it's it's once i've witnessed it so many times and implementing it now with myself when i connect with someone my intention is constantly like who's talking is it toddy yeah yeah it's toddy talking like if i checked in right now it's a little bit of todd because he's like i want to give value mm. and then it's like you told he's here to be real be authentic yeah and to express love mm. or kindness and then if i have a decision to make i just tune in with toddy boy i'm like hey what do you want to do and it's so epic because i used to be an overthinker or procrastinator and now i just close down my eyes for a moment or some can sometimes keep them open and just feel and he'll just like pop up and be like, yep do this I'm like, okay mm. and it's so powerful yeah especially with the intuitive as well because an example that I've had, and I feel like everyone listening can probably think back to an example they've had where they've had an intuitive moment in their life. Yeah. And the more work you do, the more you, you can get connected to it. But this one time I was running like a half-day event down in Caloundra, and one part of the event was a good deed. So I got all the participants <clears throat> at the event to write down three different notes, and it was all just like write down something you love about yourself, write down something you're grateful for and something yeah. that you really appreciate about someone you love. Yeah. And I said, cool, with those three notes, go hand them to strangers. Yeah. And I got everyone walking around and then <clears throat> I was like, I'll lead and go do it myself as well. And I was walking around with this note. And there was something that I appreciate about myself. And I was walking around and I locked eyes with this dude. And when I saw him, like my mom was like, he doesn't seem approachable. But my gut was telling me I have to go speak to him. Yeah. And my mom was trying to talk me out of it. I'm like, I've got to bite my tongue and do it. I'm like, there's a calling here. Yeah. I went up to him, gave him the note, and he had like a beanie and sunnies on. And he read he read the note. No, sorry. He didn't read the note. He looked at the note, he took off his sunglasses, and he looked at me and goes, why are you here? Yeah. And I was like, I told him what I'm doing, the work that I'm doing, the event and stuff. And he just opened up the note. He read it. And he just like stared at me like really deeply for about five to ten seconds. And I'm looking at him. I'm not sure what he's processing in his thoughts. He takes his sunnies off and he goes, you would not believe this. And I said, what? And he goes, we just drove seven hours <clears throat> from up north in the bus of like 10 people 
they got off at a random exit and he said, the reason we did this is because we're from a church up north and we had a message from God to get in the car and drive until we feel the right exit to take. And he said, we're going to park at a random beach that we feel like we should park at. And he goes, I just parked there, just got out of the car, came to the cafe to get coffee and you're the first person to bump into. And he goes, this is a sign that God is here. And I was just like, holy wow. And then I ended up just chatting to him for like 20 minutes and connecting. And he talks to me about God and I'm talking to him about like my spiritual connection, the journey of that. Yeah. That was like all because I listened to my intuition and followed that and got out of my head and connected with this guy. Yeah. And it was just like still to this day, it's one of the most profound experiences I've had. Yeah. For anyone listening that hasn't read the book, The Celestine Prophecy, mm. Write it down now and then go and get it on Audible or your audiobook platform or get it as a hard copy mm. and just start to notice things. Like that's that's one of those synchronicities. Yeah, I'm going to check that book out. Yeah, oh, man. it's. I'm Actually, I'm not going to share anything on it because I don't want to give anything away. But basically go and read it. Yeah. And it's, isn't it interesting – this is like I was brought up in a really strong Christian background family and then went to like a Catholic boarding school and and then when I had my quote-unquote near-death experience, like that whole thing, I started looking into meditation and that's Buddhist and mm. so I started looking there and then looking into Hinduism and then Islam and all different religions basically and then Tao and man, at their core... They all teach the same thing. They just have a different like figurehead principle message. And it's basically be love, be kindness, and that there is something greater than us at a principle level. And that's that's why I used to be really resistant to talking about Christianity or about a religion or now it's like I can sit and have a we can sit and have a conversation about a religion or a Christianity or whatever it is. And my mum might use the word God yeah. or Jesus and I'll and I'll be like, Yeah. I get what you're saying about praying or whatever it may be, you know, intention, connecting with energy, universe, consciousness, whatever we may call it. Dr. David Hawkins, he's written, might be like 40 books, probably 20 best-selling books. Mm -hmm. The most transformational book I've ever read, hands down, by far, bar none, is called Letting Go. Mm -hmm. Letting Go. If you've never read it, that would be the first book I'd recommend every human on the face of the planet read. He's also written a book called Power Versus Force, which is his bestseller. But to me, letting go is at a human level what, what so many people need to read. And you know, in his work, he's, he was a doctor, medical doctor, then went into PhD in kinesiology and then eventually uh, into consciousness work. Yeah. And he created the scale of consciousness, which calibrates from zero to a thousand. 200 is this like 200 well 199 and below is what you'd call negative against life falsehood lies um, causes disease in the body stress that kind of thing 200 and above like 200 is the set point in between the balance above 200 is pro-life it's truth it's positivity it's healthy for the body and The lowest calibrated emotion of the, the human experience is at 20. And that's shame because it's an, and we'll talk, be talking about identity because shame is an identified emotion. Yeah. Then we have guilt at 30. And then we go up and it's like, um, 
suppress myself, but there's like apathy, grief, fear, pride, etc. Mm. And they continue up and then courage is the 200. Then it goes into like neutrality. Uh, I think it's like reason, acceptance, joy, uh, love, joy, peace, enlightenment up to the thousand. And one thing that really landed with me a while ago, and I've been sharing this with my private clients really, really intently, is that when when you go through scriptures, the Bible, the Bhagavad Gita, the Quran, like all these different religious texts, they speak about this all-pervading consciousness or God or entity, whatever it may be, and they all express it as being unconditional love. And when you speak to people that have had a near-death experience, it is unconditional love. It, there's just there's not a human word for it, but it's just such a profound feeling of just all-pervading love. You speak to people that have sat with deep plant medicines and like ayahuasca or DMT, the same thing. It's like this oneness with love. And so when you're reading through these books and you, you're continually hearing this and then with it's, it's the awareness that if, you know, we know energy with quantum physics is in everything, with the mm. subatomic particles and that consciousness, that, energy has an awareness and underneath it what they say especially like buddha would say that that is love like there's a yeah. you know and so in that essence this energy this love is all pervading it, it's impermanent it's it's always there love is always available mm-hmm. experiences of the mind so if we talk about shame guilt fear apathy resentment anger grief, all these, the the negative ones, they are impermanent and they are of the mind. Mm -hmm. So they're created by the mind. And so if love is in every, you know, the energy, subatomic particles, what we're made up of, in every moment we have access to love. And so some people may say like, you know, when we say be love, I didn't get that for quite a while. There's like a simplicity to it. We don't ever, we don't lose love. Even the people that are like, that are experiencing the most deep depression, they still have love within them. It's just that they've so caught in the mind. And this is what we're talking about the three parts. There should be like an equilateral triangle, equal parts, or like a three part pie. Yeah. And it's, it's just because they're so in the mind and the negative stories and the, and the cycles that they're so in here that they can't get out of those heavier space. And, the energy in the body is like stuck down in those lower calibration emotions or feelings. Mm. And so that there's this awareness that it's like, okay, if love is available in every single moment, that means I'm, I'm it's never actually lost. I've just disconnected from it. It's basically like, uh, I'm walking along a road and I know that love is always like just down beside me on my left, like down on my left foot as I'm walking. But when I get triggered or I get reactive or I get upset or someone frustrates me or upsets me or my mum says something or my, my partner says something, whatever it is, it's I'm now I'm just looking in a different direction. It's always there, always there just on my left, but I'm looking in another area. Yeah, well. And so we always... 
always have the opportunity once we've felt that love in our chest, in our heart, to be able to reconnect with it. Mm. And for me, it's this little white pearl in the centre of my chest, centre, front to back, left to right, right in the middle. And there's days, as I said to you before, there's days where it feels like it's so expansive. It's like around the world, like around earth. And I'm like, oh my God, I've just given everyone love. I love it. It's beautiful. And then there's days where I'm like, <laughs> it's in there. It's in there. I know it's in there, but I'm really struggling to find it. And it's in those moments where I'm like, just feel the little pearl. It doesn't have to be glowing. It doesn't have to be doing anything. It's just there. And that's my reminder. And so before we started, it was like, close down my eyes. Because, you know, I get into my head when I go into these because I love to, like, teach. It's like, yeah, what about the being? And so that's what I was doing was going. Like, <laughs> there it is there. Yeah, that's so powerful because I know a lot of people would relate with that, you know. Like, some days you feel like you have all the love for the world and there's some days it's a real challenge to find it. But just because you're trying to find it doesn't mean it's not there. It's just trying to find a way and attempt to connect to that source because it's always there. Yeah. And especially with love, like you said, the moments where people are depressed. Yeah. Myself in the past, when I felt depression, yeah. the reason why I couldn't connect to love was because I misunderstood love with validation. Mm. And I thought validation was love. Yeah. But then when I switched that and I realized that validation is only enabling my behaviors and it's not actually showing love to myself, that's when I saw a lot of changes happen because I started doing things out of love, not for validation. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's like levels. Mm. And so at an ab if we talk absolute truth, it's kind of like love is under everything. Like if you were talking to a Jesus Christ or a Buddha or a whatever it is, like these from these scriptures and readings and teachings, like Ram Das and people like that, it's just, there's just love. That's like the absolute truth. But then there's like levels of the human experience where it needs to be relative. And I had a friend call me forward on this the other day and she was like, it can't just be that simple. There needs to be like levels or, or steps to it. And I was like, well, in the human experience, it's like, yeah, there are. Because if you're in a moment of reactivity and closure and you're hurting, then it, you, you kind of have your steps to like create safety. Yeah. Okay, now I can feel my, I'm out of my head. I can feel my breath. Okay, now I can feel my body. Okay, now I can feel my chest. Oh, there's the pearl. So it might be like five steps to get there. And it's like, oh, okay. And it's it's a process. And that's that's the thing. It's it's as I said, it's like always there. It's just we have our own processes to connect with it. And that's a part of and like I said, when I started with identity, it was the intention was like of the mind, rewire people's minds at the deepest level. And now as I'm going further and further through, that continues. But it's like, okay, how do I enable people to, not enable, because I don't do shit. How do we give people the tools so that they can work out their own path yeah. to those feelings every single day without an external? Mm. So people feel love, they feel joy, they feel gratitude authenticity just from their being and then all the other stuff is the bonus mm. yeah. saying all this brother like it makes me wonder <clears throat> out of all the ways and all the challenges that people go through why was it identity that you feel like was your mission for me i've i'd been I first got introduced to like actual mindset personal development when I was 16. I was in high school. My teacher at the time were in like drop everything and read class where you just study. 
and she she'd been she she was a PE teacher and she played Eric Thomas yeah. at the front of the room on an iPad. I think she, yeah, it was an iPad back then. I think or it might have been a laptop, whatever it was. This was like two thousand and eleven, and she played the if you want to breathe as bad no as you want to succeed as bad as you want to breathe then you'll be successful and i remember i'm in the back of the room doing my study and i hear him start to talk and he's like there was this rich guy and this young and he wanted to learn how to become rich and he said i'll meet you at the beach at 4 a.m like that part and i was like like my i was like one of those hunting dogs <laughs> like what is this and i went to the front and i was like who is this guy and she told me and i just started youtubing and just listening to this guy constantly and so like my Journey of the ego started then. Uh, and then around 18 is when I f- started going to my first NLP events and personal development. And so there's just many years of going down that path, learning about how we change our actions, how we change our habits and our routines as behaviors. And then you get into the level of changing your beliefs and shifting your limiting beliefs into empowering beliefs and doing that. And then you go down a bit deeper and then you, I was learning from Tony and Martini around values and, and, and values being the determinants of our life. And I was like, wow, okay, I've learned all these things. And then when I nearly lost my life mm. and I was down in Victoria and I didn't know who I was, I had no sense of direction, clarity, purpose in my life. And I kept asking myself, I did, at this point I didn't know anything about identity. I just, I was so lost and I was like, all there is to me, to this guy that used to be, you know, the university lecturer and trained world champion athletes and mentored allied health pros, all the external stuff. It's like, I've got a rental property in Queensland and I'm in the care of my parents in Victoria. Nelly, like I'm basically a vegetable. Like, who am I? And I kept asking myself for weeks and weeks and ended up being months. Like, who am I? What is this? Like, what's this all about? What's the point of the human experience? And and then one day after many months of deliberation, and, and I, ex- I express this when I uh, present on identity now, actually how I came to realise the power of identity and create the identity system, which is to me is the tool for identity. So I created it selfishly for me to recreate my life from the ground up. Pardon me. <laughs> that there was a day where I was sitting in my meditation cushion like I've got a a photo of the room where I created the identity system and I remember sitting there one day and I'd been going through like letting go of labels because I'd identified with labels through the autoimmune conditions and letting go of those letting go of words around I am healing because as long as you continue to heal you'll never be healthy Mm. and Something dropped in one day and I was like, you haven't consciously changed your actions, your behaviours, your beliefs or your values and your whole life is turned upside down. So that means there's got to be something underneath it. There needs to be a deeper root. Mm. And for me it was realising because then that voice came in again, who am I? And I was like, holy shit, it's the I. It's I identity. My whole identity has been stripped away and when that happens your values are depleted, your beliefs are diminished. Behaviors are changed, your actions are changed. And that's when I realized at the core of the subconscious mind, at the core of the human experience, our ego is our identity. Mm-hmm. So I might I, I might identify as an identity mentor and have my identity system, but really I'm an ego mentor and I'm an e- it's the ego system because that's all it is. Yeah. Like it's working with the deepest part of our ego. Mm-hmm. And 
yeah, when I realized that, at first I didn't know the power of it. I just started creating, a, a, as I said, I didn't even know it was called an identity system back then. I just started creating tools and I was like, okay, if I know all of this about human psychology and I know all of this around what I've studied over the last 10 years and all the coaches and programs and courses and seminars I've invested in and what has been huge, how do I ensure that if I'm recreating my life this time around, I can't miss? Because I feel like there's a lot of missing in the personal development space. A lot of people have goals, but they don't achieve them. A lot of people have things they're working towards they don't get to and they think it's self-sabotage or it's a lack of motivation or a lack of clarity or a lack of guidance. At its core, it's not. It's because our identity is, is the linchpin. You can change your actions, your behaviours, your beliefs, your values and change all of those. But the core wheel that determines the direction is your identity. And so if they're all pointing right and your identity is pointing left, eventually you're going to go back left. And so for me, it was like, how do I set my identity to go the direction I consciously want it to. Mm. So I started creating like a puzzle, the tools that work with the deepest parts of the subconscious. How do I optimize this emotion? How do I get this repetition? How do I get the body to feel this, believe this? And I just started doing that and I implemented it on myself. Still didn't know the power of identity at this point. I had my first client come to me just out of nowhere, really. He just saw I was healing on Facebook and was like, hey, I want to talk. He wanted to start a business. He'd been an employee for 10 years. He'd actually been a um, very successful prior to that, but had a big issue in work where he lost the self-confidence and all of that. Yep. Said he wanted to launch a business within three months. In three and a half months, he launched three multi-million dollar companies. They all went to multi-million dollars. Epic. Three months. I was like, okay. I still thought it was a fluke. <laughs> like, cool. That was sick. He was really good. And then I reached out to a professional athlete. And at that point, he was nearly retired. Um, from injuries mm. and we did work on his identity he'd been you know, battling and, and challenged and uh, he he just kept checking the boxes and making the gradual progress we wouldn't we knew it wouldn't be within one year but he got second in mm. the championship that year third in the other championship this last year round he's won the title and he's now winning the other title so That's he's good. now he's like world champion mm. and on his way to another and I'm like, okay. And then I had from him, word of mouth, there was a, an epic uh, guy that was full spinal paraplegia. Um, he came to me to do physical training with him. And I said, look, I'd be doing you a disservice if we didn't do the work at the level of identity. We did no physical work, no physical training, just breath work and identity work. Mm. And within three months, his left quad started turning on, like inner quad, then his left middle quad, then his left outer quad, his left hamstring, his left calf, and a bit of his right quad, like to the point he could ride a push bike. And then I'm, like we got to that point, which was huge. It was nuts. And we did nothing physical. And he'd done five, like five years of, of physical rehab and physical training and all these different things. And that's when I was like, I have seen a fucking miracle mm. because we did nothing physical. And... One of the, the challenges for me that still sits today, because he may listen to this, is like we were doing it through funding support and he ran out of funding and I was like, fuck. Um, so we kept talking for a while, but it was like by then I started having more and more things happening. Mm -hmm. Like this is when, back when like Ripple and Cool To Be Conscious and Espen. And so I was going on my journey. Uh, and it's just continued. Yeah. Just continuous results like this. A young prodigy athlete had come to me and 
he'd worked with different psychologists and stuff like that a bit before and he was consistently finishing second and third in state and national championships and we did some work and he he got to the point where he was second and I was like he's not finished like he hasn't tapped his identity fully Mm. and uh and I actually said that to them because they were like yeah you've I've had this happen a few times people like yeah you've fixed me I'm like you're not fixed until you're fucking winning everything because that's the identity. And then this young fella anyway, they came back to me a while later and they're like, hey, there's something missing. And so I had a really head-to-head call with him one day and challenged him mm. and he hasn't lost around in the national series since. It's identity. And so there's, there's zero, maybe zero, ground backing from psychological space. Um, I know that I've heard Tony Robbins. I know that I've heard Dr. John Martini. I know that I've heard Bob Proctor all saying that identity or self-image or self-perception, whatever term they're using, is the most powerful aspect of the human experience, the most leverageable. They say it and so many people say it, but I have never yet seen, I have not yet seen someone just work at that level. They work at beliefs or values and it's, boggled my mind now for two and a half years yeah. and i'm like well okay i'm i'm doing this i'm bringing this to the world with everything i've got that's epic because every single person i've seen in this space it is all beliefs and values and that's why i was curious to understand why identity because it seems like it does play a big part in every single person and do you find most of the challenges that people have with their own identity is because of the beliefs and values pushed onto them. And that's why there's that conflict or is there another reason why people find challenges with identity? Yeah. So identity at its core in terms of where you're saying beliefs and values, your identity will predispose and predetermine your values and beliefs and all of that. But your identity, as we know, we're like sponges as a kid. So our identity is kind of just gradually getting built. Your ego, just keep coming back to the word ego. Our ego is just getting built by the things around us. And a lot of the time we're not choosing what we're taking on because there's a saying, take it in or take it on. And we're taking on a lot. And a lot of it comes from our parents. And so this is where we may, I use the example, I'm going to do this quickly for a moment. So imagine you have this analogy. Imagine you're like, I want to get healthy. Cool. Okay. So I was like, I'm going to go for a run. Epic. That's what we would call an action. So for those listening at the moment, I want you to imagine like a gear set on a push bike. You've got the outside gear, which is like the biggest, but it's also like the slowest. The inside gear is the smallest, kind of like a target, a bullseye. And the inside is the the deepest, but it also turns everything else, like the gears. You take an action. Cool. But does that actually transform your health in the long term by going for one run? No. Okay. I'm going to go for a run three times a week for the next five weeks. So that is a repeated action, habitually becomes a behavior. Mm. Beautiful. Okay, now that starts to impact on your health. That's better than an action. And if you change your behavior, then by default your action changes, yeah? Mm. Because you're doing the action repeatedly. Cool. But then, this is where we get into the personal development space, if you have a belief that running's bad for my knees or that, people that run are losers or whatever it is that's a limiting belief around running, that is going to trump the behavior and the action. Even if you want to do it, your beliefs, if they're negative, will block. Yeah. And so 
Then people will do the empowering belief thing. Okay, we're going to shift that and going from running's for losers to running's for healthy people or running's great or running helps X, Y, Z. Cool. Now you're like, okay, I'm empowered. I'm going to do this thing. And what we typically find is actions are based on days. Behaviors are based on weeks. Beliefs are month to month. And then the next layer below that is what we'd say is values. And values I've at least found is like they last like two to three months up to, to kind of like a year before they kind of default because of the layer underneath. And so you shift your belief. And you're like, okay, now running is great for me. It's great for my health. I love this. Woo! This is where a lot of people do the work, psychology, NLP, um, life coaching, performance coaching, beliefs. And then if we go underneath that, we have our values. And values are like buckets of beliefs. So if we talk about health, within our bucket of, of health, we have like nutrition, exercise, sleep, nutrition, supplementation, cosmetics, da, 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 da. all of these. And then with each of those, there's hundreds of beliefs around nutrition, you know, like as an example, as the bucket. If you want to get fit and healthy, but your top values are wealth, uh, career, relationship, family, uh, football, sport, hobbies, that, that kind of thing, yep. where's health? Let's say health is 10th. That means in terms of, and we know this from Dr. John Martini's work, Tony's work, we will fill our life with the things we value most. Yep. So if health is 10th, it's going to be 10th on the priority list. So within a couple of months, although you had the belief, you shifted the belief, you'll typically revert back to what your values were because you're going to prioritize working or career or family or being with the boys rather than going for that run. Yeah. And so that's where people go, I changed my belief, but I'm self-sabotaging. It's like, no, you're not. There's a values misalignment at that point. So then it's like, okay, cool. I now put health as my number one value, which is where a lot of people do that work. Mm. And it has merit and it works. But again, I'm looking for what's most efficient. Yeah. The deepest root tool. Like I'm not going to be picking off the stems. I'm going for the roots of something. Mm. And underneath that is if you change your value to, okay, I value like my top value here is um, health. But your identity is I'm a lazy fat slob. Mm. Or, you know, you've been told as a kid that um, you should, you're just a gamer or that you're a loser and you're no good at sport or that – um, your couch potato. Or for me, it was like I'm chubby, like I'm I'm just weak and inadequate, basically. <laughs> that deeply rooted subconscious blind spot, mm. that value shifts, yeah. and it's usually around that three to twelve months that people revert back and they're like, "Man, mm. same thing." I see it very commonly in finance, and that's been a reflection of me. I'm like, because because I'm still going through the work, you know, just fucking check the boxes and done. There's new layers. And so I've done a lot of work with my identity and all these things. And the one that I've found wants to tick back most has been wealth, finance. Yeah. And so I've been really intentional this year. My whole identity intention is around wealth creation, wealth literacy. So that I'm changing my thermostat, my identity with money mm. so that I know it lasts. Yeah. And so as you can see there, like if someone's, you know, we're going from a run to weekly to empowering our belief to putting – health first, if our identity opposes all of those and that's the deepest cog, they will all gradually come back. That just gave me a light bulb moment because like I have like with all the work I've done, a lot of people I've spoken to, it's all been around beliefs and values, but to understand that identity is a massive part of that and literally just set a light bulb in my head. 
because when I first started this podcast and we're talking before the episode, it was just like I was flowing in and out of doing it. I wasn't, I was taking it serious, but I wasn't dedicated. But it aligned to my values and beliefs. But, you know, like I, I didn't identify as the podcast host. Yeah. I didn't identify as in someone who can interview and hold that space. Yeah. But then when I had that moment at the end of last year where I was like, no, I'm owning this shit. Like my identity is a podcast host. And I, as soon as I embodied one talk on yeah. all of my socials and yeah. embodied one talk podcast as my identity, like I just saw so much change happen yeah. because I feel like that is long lasting and then that can also bring you back to align you with your values as well. Yes. Yeah. And to, to touch on that with like you've, you've made that conscious decision mm. and sometimes very rarely someone can just go stake in the ground. I fucking choose to be this person mm. and they are fully committed. Integrity's there. Accountability's there. They keep taking the steps. But for most people, it's not uh, done. You know, there'd yes. be so many other areas of life that we look at and we go, I haven't nailed that thing. Yeah. Um, and so as an example with, because I've, I've done a few presentations now on this and people go, oh, how do I shift it? And I was finding myself kind of playing small and being like, oh, like you could try this or this, but I know it's not the answer because I know there's a, a system. Mm. And now I'm realizing if someone asks, how do I shift it? It's like, have a chat with me. Identity system, full stop, new paragraph, new book, like mm. that. And my intention isn't for it to be a me thing as a heads up for everyone listening. It is my intention is for this to be so deeply impactful for the people that experience it, that they're like, I need to get this out to the world. And so from there, I'm going to have a certification process where people will become an identity coach or identity mentor and they can take the system. Because once you have the system, it is a tool for life. I've been using the same system now for three years and I'm just making slight adjustments and tweaks to things where I'm like, okay, I want to up-level this part of me now. Cool, done. Two months later, oh, this thing, okay, now this. And so it's in service of this alignment. And so as what I mean by here is with the system is I'm going to give an example. Let's do the I am healthy thing. Yeah, yeah we'll stay on this because it's going to land for a lot of people because most people have been through some kind of health shift in their life whether it be yeah. weight or nutrition or sporting performance or strength or so you're like let's say you you want to like you, you want to start to love your body and this you know people talk about mirror work and it's like you're like okay i'm gonna stand in the mirror i am sexy or i'm attractive i am sexy i am sexy i am sexy and you're standing there and you so what's happening here is you're using conscious repetition conscious part of the brain top part of the brain and repetition you're saying it, saying it, saying it. Affirmations have a, they can work. However, again, roots, efficiency, what is the most effective tool? If you're subconscious at a deep, deeper point, because again, think like of a tree, we've got the leaves, the branches, the stems, the trunk, down to the roots. If you're working at the level of the leaves or the branches saying, I am sexy, and your roots are like, you're fucking ugly. Yeah. What actually happens is your subconscious is like arguing, being like, no, you're fucking not, you're ugly, you're ugly. And it's just, it can actually be ingraining more at a subconscious level. There's a, there's a, the term has slipped me for now, but basically there's a disagreement in the two and it can actually ingrain the neural pathways more if you're not feeling it and believing it. And so with the, the subconscious is wired, number one primary by emotion, emotion, feeling. Secondly, repetition. 
So if you're saying something over and over again, like I am sexy, I am sexy, I am sexy, I am sexy, your subconscious is going to be like, shut up and stop. <laughs> like I'm <laughs> overhearing it. Yeah. Easiest example of this. Remember when you were like, if anyone remembers back to high school and you had that exam that you actually put some study in for, like you went hard and you did all the repetitions of it. Uh, that was me in like year 10 school certificate. I did so many practice exams. If you told me to go back and remember like question three, I'd be like, oh, fuck. Yeah. But if you told me to, like as a, let's say for a parent, go back and tell me what color the doors were of the room of your firstborn child mm-hmm. or for me to tell me what the surgeon looked like that told me I had 24 to 48 hours to live, easy. Because mm-hmm. emotion is wired into our subconscious yeah. because of the, again, ego protection, pain or pleasure. And so we need emotion and repetition. So affirmations, like people talk about like using um, incantations, like saying it at a heightened state, that can, that can help more, but there's still deeper layers to it. Like you need to have a, a justification, reasoning, understanding of why you are that. Mm-hmm. So if someone came to you and you've been saying like, let's say for example, I am sexy, I am sexy, I am sexy, I am sexy. You're saying that over and over again for three months and then I come up to you and I'm like... You know, you've like, I've been doing this work. And you're like, and I'm like, what's that? And, she, and this person's like, I'm sexy. I'm like, why are you sexy? And they're like, oh, um, uh, because I've been saying my mirror affirmations. It's like, if you can't tell me straight away, you don't actually believe it. There's a moment of pause and dissonance and that's your subconscious not knowing the answer. So it's not rooted in deeply enough. That why. Yeah. And so I'm, yeah, the why. And people can, like, you'll be able to read about those. They're called lofty questions where you ask a why. So you turn an affirmation statement into a a question. So rather than I am sexy, it's like, why am I sexy? Because then you're going through the process of because of this and because of this and because of this and because of this. And it's more powerful than affirmation. Mm. But this, like, as I've um, learned, there's still so many other steps to rewiring the identity. Um, But that's an an example. So I'm not telling people, like, there's affirmation people on here because I used to be. And there's still parts that they apply. Um, I'm not saying that they don't work. Mm. They do. But it's like if I can drive from here to the sunny coast and I can drive in a forklift or a Ferrari and I want to get there quick, I'm choosing a fucking Ferrari. Yeah. So it's like what is most efficient? Mm. Well, there's most efficient. And that, that why piece is so important because that why does enable the emotion to come up and connect to it as well. Yeah. It actually arises that because – when I've spoke to people and even with myself in the past when people told me to do like affirmations not do them I'd just be writing them down they just feel like the most pointless thing ever but then once I started to dive into Eckhart Tolle's work and learn presence and meditation and the power of now and all that I started to realize how to actually connect to myself and then do it as well yeah. implementing the why that's when I saw the actual shifts happen but then it's like efficiency right it's like things to an extent so at the start, when I was getting really into affirmations, when I felt the connection and the embodiment from it, yep. I was doing it every day. Then mm. I saw if I was doing it every single day, I felt like I was limiting myself to certain beliefs. Yep. So I felt like if I spaced it out more, I gave myself more room to actually process. Yep. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 And w- again, what's key here is you can be doing the, the why and getting clear on the why. And let's say, for example, it's, why am I healthy? You know, using that. And I've, um, or we said, why am I sexy? Either one of the two. We've been going down that path. If you're going through that, but you don't have it to other things to tie to, it kind, it's almost, 
Think of it this way. Actually, it's the puzzle piece without the other connections. Mm. If you're looking to create an identity, let's say for those that have seen the, the marathon continues sign that we have here in the studio for Rye, let's say you've got the, you've got the why I'm healthy. Mm. That's like one piece in the center here that says the. Mm. But that's just floating around. And without marathon continues, the flags, all the corner pieces, all that, it doesn't actually make up a picture. It doesn't make up an identity. You've just got one floating piece. And so this is what I realized is I could, and this is where I was disappointed, was I was playing small by going, hey, guys, go and research lofty questions. Hmm. Because to me, I was like, well, I don't want to be like, you know, it's the whole selling thing. At that point, I was like, I don't want to be selling people to the identity system. Or like, go there. And I was like, that's the fucking answer. So stop giving them the little one piece when there's yeah. a whole puzzle here. You just need to get out of your own way. And that's where it was like I identified with this is who I am. Identity system is the mission. Mm. And so it's knowing that there's other, all the pieces come together so that it's, it's structured in like a rooted in way Yeah, where it doesn't kind of just float around about this is a part of it or like, okay, this is why, but it's not anchored in with other actions and other process and other things that amalgamate to be like, I'm so certain of who I am. It's like a jigsaw puzzle. Multiple things create the one picture. Yep. Yeah. And do you feel like um, a signal for us to be able to identify our identity, mm -hmm. do you think a signal is that how we perceive other people and how we perceive the world is a reflection on our identity? So you're saying like, could we get an inkling of our identity based on how we see the world as a projection yep. or a reflection? What's popped up first is, to me, that's more of a reflection of the emotions we have in us, yep. less the identity. Yeah, but that also then comes down to blind spots mm. because you could be telling yourself that you're a kind person but you've got a lot of anger suppressed yep. and so you're like doing your best to be kind but then when someone cuts you off, someone pushes in line, someone's late, someone doesn't do something right and you're like, fucking hell, or like you lose, you, you lose your temper. Are you being kind right then? It's like, mm. yeah. and so this is where it's like, to me, that's more of a protection projection of what's still within the nervous system. Yeah, uh, and I know uh, Hawkins talks about this. Like, don't recall the dis distancing. Oh, there, was, there was a word they have for it where, and it's in psychology where your projection of the world, view of the world, is just an expression of the emotions that are kind of like suppressed in you. And as you empty that bucket, as I said before, it's like this one actually came to me from Darren Manson recently was like we, we kind of have like a bucket of what we've experienced in life, all this anger over the years. And as we do the work and we're learning how to consciously release and all of that, we're kind of like slowly pouring out of the bucket. Now remember, if anger is impermanent, it's just mind made, there's that thing that's eternal that hangs around all the time, it's love. So as you empty anger out, something has to, it's like refills, yeah. gets refilled with love. So as you're just letting out and expressing or releasing anger, there's less and less of it and so something else can take its place. Mm. 
And I think releasing the anger is so important too. I think a big misconception about anger is that it's a negative emotion, but it's just how you project anger, which determines whether it's positive, negative, helpful or unhelpful. Well, how you, I would definitely say how you use it. And again, relative. Yeah. Do we need anger to be strong? No. Do we need anger to be able to defend ourselves? No. Do we need anger to be able to fight? No. Is it an easy way to tap into a felt sense in the body of like, I'm strong? Yes. Is it, again, we're talking absolutes and relatives. In a relative human experience, it can serve. Do we need it? I don't believe so. Um, Like, I feel as though I could go into a warrior energy and not be angry. Mm. I could just be expressing physical strength yeah. and that could be courage rather than anger. Mm. But again, it's, you've got to release amounts of it, copious amounts of it for me <laughs> to, to be able to feel that kind of thing. Um, and there's, that's still a journey. Yeah, that's so interesting you said that because even like fighters and boxers, they have to eliminate anger, but you have to build up the courage to be able to be in that combat. Like you don't need anger for these certain situations in life. Yeah. It's just like sometimes it can be like an injection of fuel for it or it could be like an energy drink, but you don't need an energy drink. Yeah. You have that energy within you already. Yeah. It can just be an enhancer for things, but then that enhancer can then have side effects, right? Yeah. It can bring negative effects into your life too. Yeah. Yeah, how many, how many MMA fighters or boxers do you see like at the start of a fight? Not at all. Like... <laughs> They're, they're objective, they're centred, they have a mission and an intention. You know, as Mike Tyson said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. Yeah. But they've got a plan. They're not using anger. To me, that's like the little boy psychology of like, I'm in a school fight, someone's picked on me, I'm angry, I just unleash. And that's where we have uncontrolled rage and that's like the shadow, because I know you wanted to talk about some of that, it's kind yes. of like segueing in. That yeah, that's, that's an unhealthy expression in a lot of cases, even for... Women, as they do more work with their their masculine and their dark feminine, they don't need to get angry to protect themselves. Mm-hmm. As you remember from, uh, say, from Ripple Effect, mm-hmm. women can just stand there with an energy and it's like, whoa. We went through that a couple of days ago with uh, some private clients in the Goldie. I, um, I, I wanted to really share something just then because when I was at the Ripple Effect as a participant, that exercise that we did where the women stepped into that energy the woman that was facing me from however many meters away, within like 10 to 15 seconds, my vision of her started to change. And I saw her as like a strong goddess. Like I was actually seeing this with my own eyes. Like she completely transformed. I was like, am I wigging out? Like what's going on? But then I just like took a deep breath and just wanted to see her for what it was. And I knew it was serving a purpose. And when I saw that, I saw the amount of strength that women have. And that was such a powerful moment for me. And when you mentioned that just then, it just like light bulb moment and took me straight back to that time. Yeah. Yeah. When we say like the strength that women have, for a moment if we tap into like the the archetypes or the quadrants, Mm. when I say quadrants, what I'm talking about is male and female are a sex. Yeah. Masculine and feminine are not sexes. It's an energy that we both possess. Masculine, structure, analytical, um, left brain, uh, thinking, processes, all of that kind of thing. Strength, power, like rigidity, planning, 
Then we have femininity, which is left brain. It's creative. It's flow. It's openness. It's emotion. Uh, spontaneity. So between the two, and then you can just think for here, like force, flow. Mm. And then we have light and dark. Now, there's a lot of people that have the perception that dark is bad. That's just a societal conditioning, and I'll explain why in a moment. But light, just think more spiritual, more energetic, more consciousness, more like fourth dimensional and above. Mm. While dark is more uh, physical, ego, mind, three-dimensional experience in this human body. And so when you kind of make them into a quadrant, if you go most spiritual is light and feminine, flow, connected, surrendered. Most uh, material is dark masculine, the warrior. It's very in the physical body. And so you can see there's a polarity there. And so then by default, Dark, uh, light masculine and dark feminine are kind of like more in between. And so one thing that we've come to realize through this work is that actually my, my projected belief at this point in time is that, again, absolute truth, we are all energy. Within energy, energy doesn't know if it's a light or a dark or a masculine or a feminine. It's just an energy. Like, it's just an awareness. But then within this human experience, we make meaning of everything. And so we want to have stories and, and beliefs and project all these things onto it so we can. And so within that, underneath is energy. And then on top of that is the quadrants. Now we have a primary that we kind of default into most. Let's say, for example, for me, like I'm between my light and dark masculine. Pretty like when I'm around people and in like day to day, I'm very light masculine, like smiley. Hey, going? Hope you're having a great day. Or like, I trust you're amazing. Then when I am get shit done, I'm in my warrior. Mm. Like it's go time. Let's hammer this. But then if, and so I can, it's like you can flow. Mm. Beautiful. That means there's less resistance and less blockages. But then if someone said to me, hey, go and be in your dark feminine, let's, if we use an easier example here for like go and be really sensual, like mm. physical body connected, flowing mm. with your body. Six months ago, actually probably like 10 months ago now, no way. Like, whoa, that's, that's not what blokes do. That's, that's weird. That's, mm. And so I was like, oh, there's a block. There's a limited belief, if we want to use that term, around what that means. There is some kind of conditioning where I have a fear of that or the light feminine outflowing, not sensual with the body, but almost like bringing energy in. I was like, oh, I can't be seen doing that. I think being a wussy boy, a pussy. Mm -hmm. Oh, there's a block there too. And so to me, if quadrant, the center is pure energy. It's not in any of the quadrants. So at our core, we are just in the center. We're just energy. Mm. And as a result... Without the mind, we should be able to flow into all of them. But the mind kind of blocks us from some. And so this is where I'm now, rather than just going, go into your masculine, go into your feminine, I go, where are you blocked? I'm like, hey, if I said get up and dance in your dark feminine for me now, could you? And you're like, I'm like okay, there's your work. Yeah. Or for a woman, can you get up and like, like just yell at the top of your lungs? No way. Okay, there's your work. Yeah. So it's where we can't go that our work is. Mm. Kind of just like where our fears are. You know, if you, yeah. and the same thing, this is from, from Darren, um, my mentor. He's actually someone you should 
have on the potty. Yeah. He's a wise man. Um, I'll reach out to him. Yeah, he's Epic. a student of, of David Hawkins, which is why I speak so highly of him. It's been incredible to learn from. And yeah, well. When we're talking about love mm. and being love, I said, but dads, because for me, I've been very analytical, you know, the science guy and everything, and I've had a spiritual journey, so to speak. But I'm going, but dads, like, how do I, you know, I know you say, like, just be love. Just be love, Toddy. Like, stop trying to think about it or do the habits or the routines or the practices to cultivate more of it. Just fucking be it. Mm. Like, but how do you be it? And I had so long trying to work it out and doing all the things Mm. to be more of it. And one day, I wouldn't say one day, over a period of time, I kind of clicked and I was like, oh. Connect with that feeling, just be that feeling. Oh, okay. <laughs> but there's like there's a there's steps to sort of connect with the feeling, yeah, and then make it more routine or, or more consistent. And he said to me, and I fucking love this. He said, when I asked the question, how do I get someone to be love if they've been so disconnected from their heart for so long? Mm. He said. Get them to go back to a time when they felt love in their past because we've all felt love at some point. It just might be very disconnected. Get them back there. Once they're feeling it, righto, that's it, done. They're feeling love. Cool. Tick the box. And then I was like, well, then how do, like, do we get them to feel more of it? Because you know, they could do that every time. But I was like, what about triggers and reactivity and all of that? And, he, and it was so, so simple, bro. And for you listening, it's so simple, but it's so profound. He's like, Get them to write a list of all the things that they don't yet love. He said, like, get a list them, uh, get them to write a list of all the people they don't yet love. Mm. Put that at the top of their list and start and learn to love them. Because mm. what will then happen is all the things that pull you out of love, you now love them. So there's more love, less hate, less anger, less resentment. Yeah. Well. Wow. Simple. Yeah. Same thing. All the things you don't love about, like, the world, whatever it is, go and practice loving them. Like, sit with them and go, okay. I see what you're doing, but I'm going to go through whatever that practice looks like for you. Then, importantly, go to all the things you don't love about yourself. And this is probably, from at least my experience, been the most challenging Mm. because we're our big critic. Yes. And so it's find all the things you don't love about yourself and love them. And as you do that, as I said, as the hate bucket empties, love is just the eternal thing that comes through. Mm. And so there's more love. That is epic, brother. It's just a journey of finding love within self and connecting to self. And with the three pillars you mentioned earlier, do you think the first step is self-acceptance with it? Is there a step process for it? Uh, I haven't I haven't yet. Thank you for raising this. I'm going to footnote this as something for me to go on action <laughs> after, is to develop a process for this for self-acceptance to appreciation to love in a real cliff note version i had a friend call me forward and was like why are you so addicted to growth and i was like i'm not addicted to growth and she's like well you can't not do it and i was like well why would i not and like the fact that i was emotionally reactive and defensive was like yeah there's a trigger and so when i became aware of that i was like okay there's something here so i went and sat with it and basically was like underneath was if i can't grow i'm stagnant Mm. if i'm stagnant then i'm stale if i'm stale i'm not doing anything and then underneath it was like i'm unprotected because as, as a kid, I was bullied. So my, my protection was, I'm going to keep growing so people can't get to me. It's like, okay. So I, the only way I felt protected or safe was to grow. If I wasn't growing, I was at the risk of being hurt. Again, just conditioning of the mind, of the ego, pain, pleasure, avoid the pain. Do the pleasure, keep growing. Yeah. 
And so it's like, okay, what's the scariest thing for me? And I was like, well, don't do, don't grow. So right before I overpassed on a course, those 10 day silent meditation retreats, I think it was like two days before, I made the decision I'm just going to lay in my bed for eight hours mm. and do nothing. And I'm not going to meditate and I'm not going to allow myself to plan the future or do breath work or anything that's growing. If I find myself going to want to do anything, no, come back, just stare at the ceiling, stare at the fan. And so I did that. I just laid in my bed and just stared at the fan or actually the ceiling for like eight hours of a day. And the first two hours, man, it was, it was nuts. Like that little inner dialogue, that inner voice, that inner critic, as Melissa Ambrosini would call it with the women, is like the, the mean girl. Yeah. He was just like, what I realized underneath was the, the big story was if I'm not growing, who is Todd Jarrett? Todd Jarrett is a little boy that's weak, vulnerable, and inadequate. That's the story I'd made as a 10-year-old boy when I was bullied pretty intensely. And that's what was coming up. I was like, you're weak, you're vulnerable, you're inadequate. You're weak, you're vulnerable, you're inadequate, you're a piece of shit, you're lazy, da-da-da-da, you're out here, you're losing, they're winning. And it was just self-loathing, like self-hatred. And I was like, it's going to be a long day. (laughs) And this is probably like, I'd say this is probably 20 minutes in. And then as it continues and I'm laying there, going through and it's just like kind of like i guess it was like emptying the cup yeah getting it all out and around the two hour mark of listening to that voice going on and on there was like a pause moment and i can still remember i was like almost like startled i was like what the fuck is that it stopped (laughs) and then it was like your housemates aren't like ripping you apart Mm. the world hasn't stopped your parents don't care your clients don't care no one actually cares that you're doing this right now, that you're not doing anything or growing. And I sort of went through this and I was like, huh, okay. It's like, you're still alive. You're still breathing. It's all good. You're not growing. You can just be. And so the next maybe like hour and a bit was kind of like this process of accepting my being, mm. not my doing. So I was actually coming into self or being acceptance. Yeah. Like, Whoa, this is new. And then that kind of went by and then further and further, this kind of like ingrained more. And then it was after a while and this little voice came back with a different tone. He's like, you're a badass. Like, yeah. look at this. Like, dude, you, you were scared shitless of this two days ago. There was no way you wanted to do this. This was a huge fear of yours. You've avoided it like the plague since you were 10. Look at you. You've just sat in it. You felt it. You've listened to this, this other guy like talk for two, rah, 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 rah. And then it was just like this like validation, like my cheer squad and it was appreciating me. So that was from self-loathing to self-acceptance to self-appreciation. And so that was my process. Now that's why I say like I haven't set out a structure and a system that I could apply to a hundred people in one go, but that's what I'm now going to go and thank you to you. I'm going to note that down and be like, okay, what questions? Because that to me is coaching and mentoring. It's not telling people. Podcasts are a bit different because we're kind of talking together Mm. for people to, to hear. But when it's coaching and mentoring, you don't tell, Mm. you ask because every single person has their own answers, their own awareness. If I tell them all that your beliefs are this, they're not all the same. They're all so different. But if you ask the question, what do you feel is like, is an example, what do you feel is the belief that holds you back most? 100 people, 100 different answers. But they all have their big breakthrough. And so I'm going to go through and work out. I probably get checking with a little toddy boy and he might might guide me. 
<laughs> there it is. <laughs> Gotta love it. I'm like, I was going to go and sit and think about this in like 10 seconds. It's here. Done. Yeah. That's epic, man. And <sighs> do you think that was also a shadow? I'm just so pumped. I love it. Like, that's cool because it's like live in the moment. Like, yeah. That's it. That's it. Okay. it. I love that, bro. Okay. Yeah. As you were saying. <laughs> do you believe that? Because another subject I wanted to dive into today was shadows, right? Yeah. And do you believe that story you just told was an example of a shadow? Yeah. 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 Okay. And then that shadow was something that you had to nurture into the light and you had to find the process to do that. Yes, absolutely. And so shadow. So when we're, this is before when we're talking about the light and the dark, the masculine and the feminine, light and dark are neither good nor bad. It's just more spirit, more, more like energy, more matter if you wanted to. Light is, is more energy. Dark is more matter. Shadows are like the unhealthy, unintegrated parts of the psyche, mm. of, of those archetypes that are un, yeah, unhealthy, unintegrated, wounded, reactive, triggering. And so as, a, as an example here, your light masculine, if I, actually I'll use some archetypes for a moment. Your light masculine is like the king. He's noble, he's caring, he looks after people. Um, he's very intellectually minded about how to serve and how to look after. Then you've got your dark masculine. He's the warrior, he's the protector, he's strong, he's courageous. He will take risks, he'll put himself on the line. Um, then if we go into the light feminine, she's like the queen. She's very uh, elegant, very regal, very kind, very proper about helping others, serving others, very heart, uh, gentle heart, if you wanted to put it that way, and like the king being noble. Then the dark feminine, she's, if we're using the, the he, she for simplicity, she's more of the, the um, wild woman mm. or the huntress or the seductress, the enchantress, like the witch energy, mm. very powerful but more expressive, more emotionally, more passionate than, say, the queen. Yeah. And so they're like the healthy archetypes. The shadows arise when one of those areas are blocked, yeah. suppressed. So like I was saying before, if you can't go into one, you'll typically find that that same area plays out as a shadow mm. uh, or the alternating. So for me, the self-acceptance part was the shadow because I was – a, I acted a lot in my light masculine shadow. I was very, very much a little people pleaser, uh, like a little boy that just wanted to, you know, please his mum, his sisters, then thus please his girlfriend or whatever it was. And then also my, as an example, like my dark masculine, I'd been told from a young age, primarily brought up with like sisters and mum. Yeah. Dad was around, like he's still, we're all together, but he was working a lot and away a lot. So I was told, like, don't show your anger. Women see it as violent, dangerous. They don't want anything to do with it. You're scary. And so I suppressed all my, my warrior for many years. Yeah. And so for me, uh, my dark masculine would come out as, like, he wouldn't come out very often because he was suppressed. But when he did, he was like a – because basically suppressed is like they keep getting pushed down, pushed down, pushed down, pushed down, building, building, building. You're, like, pushing it down and then it mm. explodes yeah. like a volcano. Um, and so for me, it was uncontrolled rage as like a teenager. I never hit anyone, but I punched my van and punched walls and stuff like that. And 
the part of me that was a shadow in relation to self-acceptance, self-appreciation was that as a kid I just craved the love of my dad and for mum to tell me she was proud of me. And the way that I would get that from them, get pleasure, was through achieving. And the same thing, the way that I would protect myself rather than through my dark masculine of setting a boundary, like don't fucking pick on me anymore. Or why you do, you know, if I knew the awareness, why are you picking on me? Do you have something that's hurt within you? You If you're a 10-year-old kid and you had that awareness, like, damn. (laughs) But so my way of protecting from my dark masculine was I'm going to be a warrior in my work. Mm. But it was obsessive. And I was addicted to it because I couldn't let it go. Otherwise, my guards were down. So it was a shadow, 100%. Mm. Do you think in times in our life, shadows ever serve us? Now that's a very generalised question because shadows can be a lot of different angles of it, but do you think in times in our life it could serve us? I'm going to say... Yes, for teaching us lessons. Yes. <laughs> That to me right now, I'm, I'm attempting to go through scenarios where a shadow could be of service, but from, from the understanding from my head and then the inner standing within my body from experience, they're all coming from a place of hurt or lack. So they all come from a place that's calibrating below 200. Hmm. And so that's negative. It's anti, like it's not healthy. It's not pro-life. So... In that sense, I'm going to say no other than us learning potentially the hard way a lesson. Mm. And in that way, like sometimes, yeah, the bigger the, you know, as we say, the the bigger the pit, the bigger the purpose. The greater the pain, the greater the passion. Yeah. So if we keep acting out in our shadows for a really long time in a really messed up way and we get to the pit, we've got to dig ourselves out. And it can, for some people, it can come, become their purpose because they felt so much heaviness from it. And that it kind of be like for me, I had to lose my identity mm. and go through those experiences with my health to be so passionate about it now because it was so traumatic. Yeah. Yeah, that that would be me. It's just, just for a lesson. What about you? I was, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think especially with the trials and tribulations I've been through and when I have moments because – I used to have the identity that I always seek challenges, mm. but then I and then I saw that as a way I was negatively motivating myself through life. Yeah, and I wasn't getting anything from a positive source. Yeah, so I had to flip that script as well. But I've always loved identifying my shadows because I have that love for self growth. I love yes. that. I love that sense of knowing I'm going to be a better version of myself. So not just because it's going to benefit my relationship and not just because it's going to benefit me as a friend or a family member. It's going to benefit me as a person individually, yeah. which then in, turn, in return impacts everything around me. Yeah. And not just in this present life, but my future generations are getting impacted from the shadows I'm working on today, from the work I'm doing today. Yeah. And that honestly fills my cup so much. So when I see a shadow come up, I somewhat get excited. So I'm like, yeah. now I've identified you. Let's work together and overcome. Let's put the light onto this shadow. Yeah. And yeah. for me, 
when shadows come up, I see it as something I want to work with rather than something I want to run away from, which in the past, if I ever saw a shadow, I would sprint to an instant gratification or a light switch in that sense to try and put a light quickly on the shadow to hide it, which was drugs, which is alcohol, which is partying, which is doing all these things, which was just a quick light switch. And instead I needed to nurture it into the light. And now through my own journey through the marathon, I've been able to figure out that when shadows come up, it's beautiful because this is where my growth is going to come. Yeah. This is where I learn. Yeah. Yes. It's kind of like a ratio. Mm. You know, if, <clears throat> well, the, the, the vision that's kind of there is imagine you're 50% healthy and 50% wounded. Mm-hmm. 50% consciousness, 50% ego, like, you know, reactive shadow and 50% light. If we use the easy analogy of light and dark, yeah. half your body is light, half your body is dark. And a lot of the people in the spiritual community, and this is without me being a guru of like a monk, you know, because they're, I'd love to go and learn from them, go and be with them. That'll come in the future. <laughs> That's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> that, that they're, I'm gathering they can focus just, you know how they talk about people like, it's all love and light. Yeah. I feel like they probably can because they've probably removed karmically all of the dark. Mm. So they're just focused on that upward trajectory. But if you're 50% light and 50% dark in terms of the light and the shadow, and you just keep trying to focus on love and light, love and light, love and light, you're not actually addressing the other 50% that continues to be the shadow, mm. continues to be the dark. So you're constantly made up. And then while you're focusing on that, and one of your triggers gets hit, you're like, <clears throat> go mm. into your shadow. And you're like, <clears throat> and... I use it as the example, and this is actually an actually a better way to do it rather than the light, is that imagine you've got a wound, an open wound on your arm, mm. and uh, basically like you, it's open cut, skin's open, blood's open, whatever, and then you're like, well, that hurts, so you just put your sleeve over it and you pretend it's not there. You can't see it, no one else can see it, and then um, you're like, sweet, yep, pretend it's not there, ignorance is bliss, I'm all good. And then someone comes up and they go to give you a hug and they pat you on the arm and you're like, ah, like, whoa, what's that about? Like, no, nothing. I'm all good. And then, you know, someone else comes to give you a high five and they tap your arm and you're like, and you keep getting triggered by this thing and you keep projecting it onto them and they're like, what am I doing wrong? And that they don't know. And you've also kind of forgotten that there's something under there. You're just like, people keep just pissing me off or hurting me. What's going on? And that's like focusing on love and light when there's wounds. That's such and, a good way to put it. And so then it's like this, the awareness, what you just brought up is then when you become, when you want to look at it and do the work, do the real work mm. that you go, there's something under there. You pull back the sleeve and at first you're like, Ooh, I don't really want to look at that. And I actually had this on a call with a potential client today. She signed up for the identity system. We were discussing this exact thing. And... I know she'll listen to this. I'll send it to her. But hey, tune into this part. You remember this? <laughs> and we pull back the sleeve. And at first, like, oh, that's ugly. Because, like, it's probably got dirt in it and, like, some, you know, some rocks and pussy and infected because it's been like that for a while. But you know that if it's infected and you leave it like it is, it's never going to change mm. or it's just going to get worse. And so that's how most people are living. It's like, don't look. Just let it. And it's just going to be pussy and infected forever. You pull it back. You're oh. I'd rather not be looking at this. That's at what's at first. But then if you can go, you know what? It's not pretty, but I know it's there and I'm, I can either let it continue to be pussy and infected and, and hurt the rest of my life or I can look at this thing and go, okay, I'm going to clear this. Mm. 
I'm going to heal this. So you grab the tweezers and that first bit of rock you pull out, you're like, oh, that hurts. Kind of like, you know, when you realize there's a thing, you're like, okay, I'm going to clear this. There's usually emotion there. Mm. You've got to feel some of the emotion. Then you, you pull the rock out and you clear the dirt out. Then you know when you've got to put like the betadine or the alcohol solution or whatever. It's like, no! this hurts right now, but I know it's going to be worthy in the long run. It's kind of like some of those deep breath work sessions where yeah. you're like, this is intense, but I know I'm going to feel like I'm on cloud nine after this. You're just yeah. like, I'm in for the journey. And then you get to this point where it's, it's clean now, it's still wounded. Mm. So now you, you kind of like got the, the sleeve there and someone might tap you and you're like, Oof. but you're like, I know it's healing. It's, it's all right. Just like your wound won't heal immediately, but you're like, I'm doing the work. I know it's clearing. And then a couple of days later, it's healed over a bit more and someone taps and it's like, Oof. it's all good. Mm. A couple of days later, it's like scabbed over. Now someone can tap and you're like, Ooh. a couple of weeks, that's scabs healing and then it pulls over and it's gone through contracture and it's there someone can smack you hit you punch you like bro they can pour alcohol on your arm and you're sweet because you've chosen to do the work yeah that just shows the importance of actually facing the shit that we go through or facing the shadows and start putting work into ourselves you know and one thing that i had to realize was like i can rather stay this way and not face it because it's uncomfortable but either way, 12 months is going to go by. I was like, I can choose my pain. Yeah. I can rather sit in the pain of this shit that I feel or I can choose the pain of growth. Mm. And it's like 12 months is going to go by or what am I choosing? And I had to make that decision that my pain is going to be growth and learning and understanding rather than the pain of just looking for things that enable me, look for things that give me instant gratification and just don't really push me but more so push me backwards. And... I think when people start to make decisions and have the awareness to start implementing things in their life that are going to push them forward, that are going to help them heal, that are going to help them face these shadows and then reaching out to people like yourself or people similar in the field that can help guide them on this journey is so important because I think one part I went wrong and I know some people will relate with this is trying to do it all yourself, mm. trying to start this journey saying like, all right, this is what I've got to work on. Let me do it by myself. No one knows me, you know? And it's just like, you get to a certain point, but then you've got no one keeping you accountable. You've got no one looking at it from a different perspective. And the important part that you mentioned before, you've got no one asking you the right questions. And the right questions is what gives you those light bulb moments to be like, oh yes, I'm going to do this and this and this. And it gives you those things that keep you pushing and going forward. And that's why I also wanted to mention by not doing this, by yourself and seeking someone that aligns with you that know will help you on this journey. Yeah. Mm. And we have blind spots. Mm. We all, all of us, as long as we're, we're in a human body, we have an ego. We have blind spots, mm. which is to say there's things that we think aren't there that are there and other people can see them or feel them and sense them and they can easily go, you're doing that thing again. You're like, what? No, I'm not. No, like, yeah. yeah, you are. And you're like, oh, okay, thank you. And that's, that's where it's so true. I call it the, the social power law. Mm. Uh, so it's not so much a circle of influence. I, this I go into in habits and routines in week four, which is like level one. Mm. There's three levels in the identity system. So this is in week four, we go into social power law. And in a really summated, simple form, think of I'm doing the work by myself and I've got all these blind spots. Mm. So I can't see them. So I can only grow at such a speed. 
But then we have a conversation. I talk about my stuff and then you see a blind spot mm. on my left and you go, hey, bro, there's that. And I go, oh, and now I have a new awareness. And then we're chatting. And because I had a new awareness, I see your blind spot. And I'm like, hey, bro, blind spot. Yeah. And you're like, oh. And so we got this, it's kind of like squared. You know, we're like maths mm. squared. Mm. And then someone else comes in and then they see us. And now they've had an awareness and they lift. And then it's like this, you know, cubed, you know, it's like exponential growth, social power law. The more people you surround yourself with that are spiraling upward, the more that exponential growth occurs. Yeah. And having people that can spot your blind spots too, man, because like if you go to the gym and for the first time you've ever gone to the gym and you're saying you're bench pressing and you pick up the bar and you're just, you know, you're doing the reps, but you, may, you may not know you're doing the correct form, especially if you're there for the first few times. Then you get a PT, you go with someone that's a bit more seasoned and experienced or someone who is works in that gym. They can pick out your blinds, but like, look, you need to tweak it this little bit yeah. so you don't injure your shoulder. You need to tweak it this little bit so you can maximize growth or you never know like what other else things can come from that. But it just relates with the whole idea of having people around you that can identify your blind spots. And also, this is the second time I'm mentioning it, but I want to come back to it because it's so important that you said it. It's not telling people what to do as well. But when you're helping people with their blind spots, it's just a big part of it is ask them the right questions Yeah, as well. Yeah. Mm. If we use an example of the mental health, or uh, you, you go friends with Nick Batar. He talks yeah. about like mental illness, mental health, mental fitness. Yeah. We talk about the same kind of journey with physical and we're using that analogy of the, of the personal trainer in the gym. You know how you're saying before you choose your pain? Mm. So it's like, and then the, principle there is you can choose the pain of going to the gym and feeling the pain of those heavy ass squats but be growing a muscle that's like yeah delayed gratification like you know instant pain delayed gratification or you can choose i'm going to chill on the couch eat chips watch movies all the time Mm. instant gratification delayed pain overweight diabetes obesity mental health challenges social disconnection whatever it is self-worth all that you choose again we're wired for the easy not what's best Mm. and so that's where it's again connecting with intuition it can guide you then we use that as another step on what you were just saying Mm. you can go to the gym and you're like i'm doing the good thing i'm going to the gym not being on the couch Yeah. yeah but you go to squat and let's go like if we're talking like a bit of biomechanics you got valgus which is basically your knees are dropping in Um, so your glutes are turning off. So you're overloading your quads, which isn't great for your knees or your ankles, your hips. You're doing that, but you're like, I'm squatting. Yes. Good. Maybe even great, but not world-class or exceptional. Mm. And that's where it's like, you're on the personal development journey, doing it, trying it by yourself, trying. And I say that specifically for a reason, but if you had a coach there or a mentor there that knows exactly what they need to be looking for and hitting those blind spots, decent coach would be like hey your knee's dropping in mm. your knee you got knee valgus you need to you know you need to push your knee out yeah that'll that'll sort your you know your glutes and then you'll load from there better but if you had a coach that goes where do you feel something's off mm. and you're like go to your next one oh, i feel like i'm really pushing from here and my knee feels bad okay self-awareness coaching through asking not through telling mm. and it's like look at the difference being on the couch in the chips to going to the gym, to having, doing it at the gym, not necessarily right, if we wanted to put it in simple terms, to doing it right and being told what's right and wrong, 
to doing it and finding out through your own process through the right questioning what's right and wrong then you're like you feel your knee because you're in that introspective process if you for an example like hypothetical situation if someone was starting their personal development personal growth journey and they don't know where to look what advice would you give them Yeah, so let's just say I wake up tomorrow yep. and I'm like, I really want to better myself. Like, I want to do this. I want to go to the gym. I want to, you know, level up my mindset. I want to learn my emotions more. And they want to try and do a hundred things at once. Mm. And they're trying to rush it. Yep. Because ma- mainly a lot of people do when they first start there, you know, personal development, personal growth journey. Like, what would you recommend at the start? I'm just observing my ego, trying to give the little, just do this or just do that, kind of like the lofty questions. Number one answer that I must give now that is in complete alignment with me is identity system. Mm. Send me a message. Yeah. Because it is set and structured in a way where there's level one, which is just four weeks. It's introductory baseline. Conscious and subconscious mind. Mm. Mindfulness compared to mindset. Breath work and meditation, habits and routines and the subconscious development, like giving them that the content plus then the coaching on them so that it's embodied, experienced, and then there's embodiment actions with each part. Mm. So you're actually experiencing them week, day to day in between the coaching. So it's like the baseline. So someone that's brand new on the journey can go there. And so that's better than me telling them about, oh, go and use the Insight Timer app for some meditation or go and do the, the 777 breath work over here because then they're kind of like that and they're like, where to next? Yeah. But when you're in a container like that where someone can start at that point and they have a mentor that's like, what else do you want? Mm-hmm. Where else do you go? And you're in that intimacy of that relationship where they're there to support you and answer all your questions, done. Mm-hmm. And then there's level two. So it's like, you know, there's, there's levels to it. But basically then that goes into behaviors, beliefs, values, quantum uh, presence awareness meaning all of those things so it's deeper again but it's like once you've gone through level one you're ready for level two yeah level three goes to identity and that's the core but it's like if i said anything else i know i'd be just doing it from a place of not wanting to be seen as promoting my own thing but i'm so part like i have to be past that now yeah because it's and if if Fred Hollows didn't get out of his way for, for eyesight, how many people in the world would still be blind? Mm. So you've got to be able to get out of your own way. You've got to own it yeah. as well what you do. Like if I have someone who reaches out to me around the challenge, um, I also send them a podcast episode. Yeah. One talk. Yeah. They've had so many diverse guests come on. Yeah. It really does come back to owning it because then that comes back to the identity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. This is the app. We said it before, like this app. If you're listening to this episode right now and you found any value at all out of this, any part, please share it on your stories. Please send it to someone that could get value from it. Um, and rate and review it as well for Ryan. Like this is not the end of the potty, I don't think, but I'm just putting that in there because it's like, this is of service, getting this out to more people. Yeah, 100%. And it's just, the thing I love about podcasts too is that 
it's a way people can dive in, get a teaser, get the free information and resource yes. to then have the ability to be like, yes, I want to connect with that. Yes, I want to do that course. Yes, I want to speak to him and work with him. Yeah. That's why I love podcasts because it's just a way people can absorb this information for free and then take the action how they want to take it as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah brother. I know we said um, before this podcast, because last time me and Tolly did the podcast, it was over three hours, and we're like, yeah, we won't go as long this time, but we're creeping up to two now. Oh, <laughs> I didn't even look. And that's so funny, because I just said this won't be the end. Do we have any other any other questions, or are you like, that's a smooth transition out? I think because a, lo- a lot of my questions, we touched on different areas, yeah. but there's one last question that I want to ask, and the reason I want to ask this question is because I find... It's a thing that a lot of people struggle with in life. And the question is, how can I identify my mission in life? Because people want to know what their purpose is. They want to know what they need to be doing. They can feel disconnected. So how do you think people can help identify their own mission? Mm. I'm going to give you my old answer and then I'm going to give you my present answer. Old answer is what is something you have been through in your past that you don't want anyone else to go through. Mm. Again, the greater the pain, the greater the purpose. Mm. And so a lot of people's purpose, their why their drive is because of an emotional challenge. Their pit, you know, a lot of people find like their deepest passion from that. And so it's being able to ask yourself that question, like, what have I been through? Like, what hits me in the heart that I'm, I don't want anyone else to have to go through that? Because that level of, that level of like, mm, that's a driving inspiration. It's not an external motivation. It's from within you. Yeah. That's huge. But again, th- that's the old answer because it's, it's kind of like me giving that little tidbit. But someone goes and does that. It's like the floating piece of the puzzle. Mm. And then they're like, well, okay, well, I, like, I had this experience in the past. We're like, well, I don't really know how that applies or this or that or the other. And they, people still get stagnation or they get the procrastination. They don't have the guidance. And so this is, like I've said, the new answer, the present answer is identity system mm-hmm. because it is set in that way where every single thing around identity, purpose, mission, career, relationships, finances, health, it is all set mm-hmm. for that. So that's it. Epic, brother. What an episode. <laughs> I just want to say to people as well, like if you listen to this episode and you relate to a lot to what Toddy was saying, you relate to his message, especially to do with the identity, I think that's an important component to all of this. I highly recommend reach out, seek the guidance, even just start a conversation, see if yeah. it's right for you and just begin this journey to find that identity, begin the identity system. Yeah, I've one actually two things that are really clear for me right now is number one if the identity system wasn't mine and let's say it was ryan's and i'd experienced it and i knew it to the level i know it now i would be singing it from the fucking rooftops for everyone to know because i've done that before mitchy vicarage saved my life through my physical healing journey anyone that comes to me go see mitch vicarage i literally i don't even say anything else don't talk to me go to him And the amount of people he has transformed and saved lives is remarkable because of that. And so I know that that's how I'd speak of other people. So I just do this because I know the power of it. And this is where I said before, 
It's not a me thing. This is the identity system. My mission is for this to become a global entity of its own. It's not Todd Jarrett's identity system. It's the identity system, full stop. I fade off into the distance. There's identity mentors and coaches all around the world doing this because I know that's the deepest level of impact. So that's why I say it because I believe so much in it as its own tool process program and is lifelong once you've got it you can never unhave it mm. and so that the second part to that is please do reach out please yeah. do send me a message don't be like oh shit he's gonna try to sell me something it's like no i'm fucking here to serve people serve, yeah. i'm here to serve people i'm here to transform lives and we will chat and i'll give you what i can until i'm at a point where it's like okay we need to jump on a call mm. and that call is typically with people 15 minute alignment call there's no sale there's no pitch there's nothing like that it's literally where are you at so i can get an understanding of where you need to go Mm. and as i say to everyone if there's somewhere else i can send you that's going to serve you better with where you're at i will and so that's so important my mission is service first Mm. make this so clear to people yeah and (laughs) i can i've seen that firsthand over the last probably just longer than two years now from knowing you from like the amount of impact you've had on my life from the moment I met you till now. And a lot of it's been face-to-face, some of it's through social media. <laughs> and it's just like the amount I've learned, the amount of things you've helped me embody and just the amount of doors you've opened and pushed me towards as well. Like, cause I remember I, um, before I even went to like my first ever retreat, you came out to me, the cool, be, cool to be conscious um, Sunday stillness. And you're like, next weekend is an event. You have to go to it. And I was like, all right, I'll go to it. But I knew you said that because you probably saw within me at the time that's something I needed. Yeah. I went to that event and my whole life has changed since then. Yeah. But then you did that to me as well with the uh, Morgan T. Nelson event. Yeah. I went to that. And then that pushed like and opened like 10 other doors for me of all these, like, <laughs> yeah, fuck, I could go on. But brother, I can definitely see within yourself that this is a mission that's all from service and goodwill and for basically the good of humanity out there. So yeah. 100% believe in what you're doing. I'm glad to call you a friend. I'm glad you came back for round two. Yeah, brother. (laughs) I love you. I appreciate you and thank you for for having this episode and Mm. thank you all for listening. And I'm going to jump in before you end this and go, what I said before, please, for Rye, for him doing this, the work, the energy, the effort that he puts into this, what he's created, and as he said, the marathon, please go and share this episode. Share it on your your socials. Send it to a loved one. Then send do a review. Put a review in there. Like if you can, if this episode was shit, then maybe don't review this one because I want him to get awesome reviews. <laughs> but, but like, leave a review and support him that way, please. Like we're so we're in a society now where we get so much incredible free stuff, mm-hmm. and it's like, how can we actually give back and say thanks? So yeah. Yeah, brother. Appreciate that, brother. And just before we finish up, I want to say, yeah, like by helping pushing this podcast, like it's great and helping me like validate the work that I do. But the purpose behind the podcast is to give the world the free information so they yeah. can take action and improve their lives. Yeah. And I want this to be the platform. No, this is the platform where people can do that. Yes. So if you share it, you're only you're not just helping me, but you're helping fellow humans out there. And it's much appreciated. And I'll also link in everything to find Todd within the bio of this episode. So please jump into the bio. But thanks, brother. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs>